Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us. Here we are at midweek. Lots of things going on, lots of issues that we want to keep you updated on. So we're going to talk with several people and get their thoughts and uh, views on some key issues. What's going on with the Farm Bill? What's going on with the RFS? And uh, what's going on with the ag economy? We know that uh, it's really tough on a lot of uh, folks in agriculture these days, and there have been more reports out about more bankruptcies, ag farm bankruptcies. We're going to talk with uh, an ag economist with Farmer Mac about uh, the situation overall with the ag economy, how it looks here at the end of 2018, how it compares with some tough years in the past, what is what is the outlook for 2019 and beyond. That will be coming up on today's program. We're going to be talking with University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin, talk a lot of biofuels with him. Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters, will join us a little bit later to give us the very latest on some things happening with EPA and the RFS, and uh, we'll go over all that a little bit later. But right now, we're on Farm Bill Watch, and Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications is right on the scene in Washington, D.C. Phil, thanks for joining us. What's the latest, deal or no deal at this point? Great, great to be here. Uh, well, uh, depending on who you uh, hear, it's very close. It's incredibly close. All I can say is that it's imminent. I had negotiators tell me about midday yesterday that it uh, was possible last night. Uh, that didn't happen. Uh, they didn't get wrapped up. But we're, we are indeed um, uh, very close. They're wrapping up the final issues. The, the, the big thing that uh, you probably we, we talked about before is this uh, forestry uh, forestry ish forest management issue the uh, administration has been pressing for more authority um, uh, in the national forest to do uh, apparently salvage uh, log after wildfires um, that's still unsettled as of yesterday uh, afternoon so that's that's probably the biggest hold. that's been the biggest hold up this week. I'm looking at some of these quotes from some key people in Congress. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer saying the only things left are some forestry provisions. We're making progress on that. Ag Ranking Member Senator Debbie Stabenow sounded less positive, saying what the House is talking about would kill the Farm Bill. And then you have House Ag Ranking Member. Uh, Colin Peterson saying there's never going to be a forestry title in any farm bill if I've got anything to say about it, period. I'm tired of it. These people have overstepped their bounds. So we have some strong uh, uh, feelings uh, on this forestry issue. Yes, uh, they do. Uh, environmental organizations say that, uh, that what the administration was push- pushing for was unnecessary, would actually do more damage to the ecosystems uh, uh, than good. Um, so they, they've been pushing back hard on this. Um, you know, Senator Savinow made her remark early in the day. Senator Schumer made his uh, remark about making progress mid-afternoon, actually, after a couple of meetings that were supposed to have taken place. So uh, where the landing spot is on that issue is we don't know yet. <laughs> it wasn't real obvious. There hasn't been real obvious. 
but so what's going on now? And, uh, uh, well, they still have some other uh, smaller issues, uh, more what we think of farm program issues to, to settle. Probably the biggest one, most uh, significant to, uh, to your listeners, is probably the eligibility rules for farm farm programs, and uh, they would be relevant to some of your listeners, certainly not all, and that has to do with the adjusted gross income limit. Uh, the Senate bill would lower um, that means test from 900 to $700,000 a year. That's the income you can have until qualify for payments. Um, there is a house provision still in play that would allow uh, cousins and nieces and nephews to to qualify for payments as part of a family farming operation. We're talking with Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. We seemingly are very close to getting a farm bill done, but not across the finish line yet. Is the SNAP issue settled once and for all, or are they still working on some aspects of that? Uh, there could be some minor things, but the big issue, yes. So that's been settled. Uh, I, I was told back uh, a couple of weeks ago that that had been largely settled, uh, and that is, that is not in play at this time. And that, I believe, from what I have been told, we haven't seen any language yet, uh, that they're largely going to leave it up to the administration to uh, um, take steps to uh, uh, probably make it harder for states to get waivers from the existing law work requirements, but uh, that will not mean expanding the number of adults that actually would be subject to work requirements, which is what the House bill would have done. Conservation title, is that worked out? Uh, appears to be. It looks like a uh, conservation reserve program, from what I'm told, is going to be increased from 24 to about 27 million acres. Uh, that's not as far as... Uh, um, Colin Peterson, uh, ranking Democrat on uh, House Ag, wanted, but it is a significant increase, and that would be paid for by a uh, cap on the payments, uh, uh, the CRP payments, in, in relation to local rental rates. You know, there's, uh, I think, particularly in Iowa, some other spots up in the Midwest, there's been concern, a lot of concern that the CRP rates were were actually higher than uh, local rental uh, rates and distorting the uh, market, pulling pulling land unnecessarily uh, out of production. So it, it, the CRP number will go up to what again? Uh, we're talking about uh, what I've been told, 27 million acres. Um, from the current cap is 24 million. That was lowered under the 2014 Farm Bill. Again, caution. Uh, we haven't seen text yet, uh, right. so but that's what I've been told by several sources is, is the yeah. number. You know, it just reminds us again, you don't have a deal until you have the deal done. Because who would have thought several weeks ago, with all the talk about the disagreement over SNAP, that it would come down now to a forest management issue holding up the farm bill? No, well, what the big thing is, we, you know, we talked about this uh, for uh, probably several months now. Is it really had to get past the midterm elections because uh, it's, it's see who's going to control the House, uh, how this uh, 
work requirement, uh, welfare reform issue would play in the election. We got past that election. Democrats won control of the House. That means that uh, these work requirements, that uh, these tough rules that uh, the Republicans in the House wanted, uh, are just they're, they're just not going to happen. They're certainly not going to happen in a Democratic House. And so uh, they're at the point where they have to get what they could get. Well, no doubt uh, forest management is a very important issue. We just didn't see it being uh, the make-or-break uh, portion of the of the Farm Bill debate uh, a few weeks ago, but uh, that shows how things can change. All right, Phil, we'll stay in touch. Uh, as you stay on Farm Bill Watch, we'll stay in touch with you, okay? Okay, sure will. Thanks, thanks a lot. Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. All right, we're going to talk about the RFS, the ag economy, and more with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin next on AOA. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. It's not just storing grain, it's storing quality. At FS, quality isn't just a promise, it's a statement. Our grain systems experts stay focused on what's ahead by providing state-of-the-art grain systems that protect grain quality in the bin, along with larger capacity bins that keep us moving forward. We're always looking for ways to optimize operations and ensure our customers are ready for what's next. So visit FSSystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. Sometimes life is wonderful and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 
800-664-2612. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. We're joined now by Scott Irwin, University of Illinois Ag Economist. Scott, thanks for joining us. want to get to the RFS news here in a bit, but first want to just get your thoughts on the overall ag economy headlines this week, again, uh, telling us about uh, the number of uh, farm bankruptcies uh, on the rise. Uh, we know the commodity prices are low, challenging the trade issues, and uh, we don't know what's going to happen with the talks with China this week. There's some hope there. But uh, as we wrap up 2018 and head to 2019, it's not looking real positive for the ag economy. What's your uh, assessment of where we're at and maybe your thoughts on the year ahead? I'd summarize it this way, Mike. Uh, we can clearly see storm clouds on the horizon in financial terms. Uh, there are lots of signs I think it's we're early in the process of a cycle of financial problems in agriculture. Um, this matches with you know what I'm hearing and talking to people out in the credit industry. Uh, there's more concern than there certainly was uh, a year ago. I think a lot of that is the uncertainty that we're facing. Uh, in terms of especially what might happen in 2019 if we don't have as much support uh, and there continues to be trade problems, if we don't have help through a drought to raise prices. You know, the outlook is pretty grim, which means some of the financially tough decisions that we've been putting off, you know, may really come home to roost in 2019. Are we... Do we have to be careful with the situation with China in that there's so much anticipation with these talks this week and, and moving forward that uh, I'm, I'm af- almost afraid that the, the feeling is we get a deal done with China that's going to solve everything. Uh, is that a concern? I share your concern, Mike. Uh, there's one number that you should keep your focus on at the present time, in my opinion, and that's that we're near one billion bushel carryover for soybeans. And yes, indeed, there will be a price boost on soybeans if a real deal is accomplished and we take off some of those tariffs. Uh, That will happen. But the billion bushel carryout isn't going to magically disappear. Plus, we know there's. it looks like there's going to be a big crop coming out of Brazil and probably is going to hit the market even earlier than usual. Their conditions have been very good so far. Absolutely. There's no evidence of any of the kind of drought, early drought problems that we saw last year in Argentina and southern Brazil. So at least as of today, it looks like they're on track to have a very good crop. We're going to talk more about the ag economy in our next segment with a, uh, an economist with Farmer Max, so uh, stay tuned for that. Right now we're talking with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. And, Scott, um, quite a bit of uh, news coming out from EPA concerning the RFS. We're still waiting for the RVO numbers for 2019. But in the meantime, some interesting comments out of the agency. And let's start with the 
uh, one of the things that has come out, it does not look like they're planning on any reallocation of uh, lost gallons due to uh, the exemptions to the RFS that have been granted. That is correct. Uh, that statement has been made in the press, just announced this week. That is not a surprise to me. That was in the preliminary proposal. Um, uh, Interim Director Wheeler has also leaned towards supporting that uh, policy stance. So I don't think it's any surprise, but it's still a bitter disappointment to the ag and biofuels interests. Yeah, there was hope that they would kind of account for those gallons, make up for them, if you will, but it does not look like that's going to happen. And it's expected that the, when we get these RVO numbers for 2019, they're going to be pretty much uh, what uh, we, we thought they would be, what, $15 billion? Is that the number we're looking at? Yes. I mean, I don't – there may be some very small adjustments in the numbers as the projections of gasoline and diesel use could change slightly, some assumptions here or there. But uh, I expect the final numbers to be very close to what they were in the preliminary. But the key thing for listeners to remember is the way I described the numbers on paper last summer when they came out is what you see is not what you get with small refinery exemptions. And so that's just going to be a replay of that story. Yeah, now let's let's get into that, uh, what it looks like the policy is going to be from the CPA moving forward on the exemptions. Now, we just had the, uh, the, the story out in the last few days that Chevron got a, uh, an exemption, and that really got a lot of people upset again in the biofuels industry. How does a company like Chevron with the big profits, uh, how do they qualify for a hardship or a small refinery exemption? And that is just... Uh, kind of exasperated the situation for those in the renewable fuels industry. That's right. Well, I think there's a technical issue here at play, and then there's the politics of the RFS. Uh, I don't know the details like anyone, no one else does either, um, but those particular, there is a way for a large profitable refiner to qualify legally for a small refinery exemption because the exemptions apply by refinery facility. They're not for an entire company. So if they have a small refinery that meets the requirements, then it is possible for a large company, for a particular small refinery, to get an exemption. So that in and of itself is not problematic. Now, you used a key word there, legally, and that's a big question now moving forward uh, what is the policy going to be, and how does it stand up legally? Well, the, the right way, I think, to think about it, Mike, is virtually everything is going to be ultimately now settled in the court uh, because uh, there is no middle political ground on implementing the RFS now. The crude oil refining industry is, I believe, in the driver's seat in terms of implementing the RFS, and they're happy to say this is the way we want the policy to be implemented, and if ag, you want to change it, you're going to have to get the courts to change it. So that means we're just going to have a long series of court battles over issues like the number of small refinery exemptions that are issued, whether those exemptions should be reallocated, and then the latest one that's likely to get fought out in court will also be something called 
um, the reset provision. Based on what you're seeing and hearing out of EPA right now, do you see any real change in uh, their approach to waivers moving forward? No, although there is an economic question that I think will be very interesting in 2019 and forward is that the argument for the hardship part of the exemptions is that the expense of the RINs have harmed profits for these firms. It's an undue economic burden. Well, we've driven the price of at least D6 RINs back under 10 cents from as high as 90 cents just a little over a year ago. And how is, you know, what what's your hardship argument going to be when the prices drop from 90 cents to 10 cents? So uh, in theory, it would seem to me that going forward, it ought to be harder to get a, a hardship exemption. Um, so that'll be something that'll be really interesting to monitor going forward if they slow down simply because range prices are now so low. Now, many in the renewable fuels industry feel that E15 sales year-round would be a boost and would really help. And I know you're not as uh, you're not really on board with that, thinking it's going to be that big of a difference. But I guess the question is, we'll find out one way or another if we ever get it. Do you think they'll get it done in time for next summer? They're cutting it pretty close with the timeline EPA has laid out. Indeed, I think so. Um, I, I, I think that you know, with the president's uh, backing of getting it done by summer, I, I believe that uh, the regulations will be issued and uh, put in place for next summer. Um, I think that the, to me, the really interesting question is even assuming the EPA gets it done uh, that quickly, let's assume that they do, uh, will a judge someplace stay the implementation uh, because of questions about the legality of the EPA doing it administratively? I, I think that that's probably uh, has a real chance of happening. Yeah, a lot of questions hanging over this as we move forward. All right, Scott, thank you very much. Always good to get your perspective. We'll stay in touch. Thank you much. Always a pleasure, Mike. You take care. Take care. University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin. All right. When we come back, uh, Jackson Tokich will join us, Ag Economist for Farmer Mac. What about these farm bankruptcies on the rise and the, the state of the ag economy right now and looking pretty grim for many? Uh, we're going to get his thoughts moving forward and uh, where we're at, an assessment of where we're at, where we're at historically as well, and what are the prospects uh, moving into 2019 and beyond. That's coming up next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. you got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't. Because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there 
and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. I'm broadcasting from the 70th Annual Convention and Trade Show of the South Dakota Cattlemen's Association. It's underway at the Crossroads Hotel and here in Events Center. For live cattle futures, we are trending 25 to 37 cents higher in early activity. An hour in December live cattle up 25 at 116.95. Feeder cattle January near unchanged up two cents at 148.45. March contract that's down seven cents at 145.92. Cash cattle bids in the north at 180 on a dress basis, asking prices 187, asking prices on a live basis in the south at 118 to 119. Beef cutouts being called mixed at midweek. In lean hog futures, December up 15 at 58.02, February up 62 at 65.67. Cash yesterday, Zambroda, Minnesota, barrows and gilts steady atop of 33. For the grain and oil seed sector on this Wednesday, in the wheat futures, we've seen mixed activity in Chicago. We rallied on Monday, lost it Tuesday, mixed on a Wednesday. March Chicago up two and a half at 5.09. Minneapolis spring wheat, March contract up two and a half, 5.72 and a half. Kansas City wheat march, that's up five and a half cents at 4.89. In corn futures, the March contract up four and three quarters at 373 and a quarter. And in soybeans, January contract for the beans, that's up 18 and a quarter, 893 and three quarters. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson from the South Dakota Cattlemen's 70th Annual Convention and Trade Show. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000. New ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. I want to take a look at the uh, the ag economy. We know it's hurting. Uh, and when you talk about the ag economy, we know everyone's situation is a little different. And uh, uh, people, different uh, operations in different uh, positions and 
and their ability to to deal with a, a downturn like this. So we know that it's hard to make blanket statements, but we can look at the overall situation, just where we're at uh, for the ag economy right now here at the end of 2018, and looking ahead to prospects for 2019 and beyond. Joining us now is Jackson Takich. He's an ag economist for Farmer Mac. Jackson, thank you for joining us. Um, uh, the headlines this past week have kind of been uh, pull, putting this in front of us again, uh, farm bankruptcies going up. We know that uh, there's a lot of concerns with commodity prices being low and uh, the trade problems and things like that. What is your assessment of the ag economy here at the end of 2018? Well, thanks for having me, Mike. It's uh, certainly uh, uh, you know a tough producers out there. Uh, in your listening areas. Um, commodity prices have been kind of a grind for the last three years, and that really is taking its toll, I think, on a lot of uh, uh, farm families out there across the country. Uh, ground zero is certainly in the grain sector, but also if you look in the protein sector, dairy and pork have been hit pretty hard through some of these retaliatory tariffs. So typically when you have a, a grain uh, compression in prices, that's beneficial to the protein sector, livestock, pork, dairy, you name it, because the feeding costs will go down, and we're just not quite seeing that um, ebb and flow like we t- and a pain felt in the trade markets so often in a in a down cycle like this you'll see one segment of uh, the ag industry uh, doing cut you know better than maybe the others you know there'll be a bright spot in there it's hard to find a bright spot right now and right now for commercial production agriculture uh, it's a lot of a lot of stress I think across all sectors you do have some sectors in more of the um, you know, more consumer-centered or direct-to-consumer. So if you've got fruits, vegetables, uh, West Coast agriculture is, is holding up pretty well. So if you look at prices in the nuts and fruits uh, and vegetable markets, they're holding up pretty well, and demand for those products is solid. Uh, but for the, the bulk of uh, Midwestern agriculture from north to south is, uh, is really seeing some stress. As you pointed out, this is a multi-year cycle already. You know, it's one thing to have a down year, and then followed by another down year, you know. And then when you get to the third year like we have now and prospects not looking good for the fourth year, then you start really testing even some of the operations that uh, look to be in in pretty good shape to handle a downturn. But this starts stressing uh, more and more the longer it goes. Yeah, that's right. I think what a lot of producers do is uh, turn to the balance sheet in time. This this is a – um, something we've seen in the past when there is a, a, a decline in income for multi-year periods, you turn to the balance sheet, you um, try to monetize some of those long-term assets like farmland, uh, buildings, real estate, those types of things. And, and that's what we're seeing now. So if you look at the debt picture for, um, for agriculture across the country, you're seeing more debt flow out of production agriculture. Maybe that's slowing down a little bit and going onto the land. So the real estate-backed or farmland-backed uh, debt is starting to increase. So that's where people have been turning, and thankfully that has been a very strong balance sheet out of um, the really great boom periods from 2012 to 2015. It's really been uh, a, a, you know, kind of a godsend to have that much equity built up on the farm. Are we seeing those debt levels going up? Well, so lenders across the country have, uh, have you know, been there and stood by the producers uh, to try to keep capitalization flowing through to the farm. So if the farmers do need that extra bit of debt this year uh, to carry over to next year, uh, you know, if you look at the call report data from uh, the farm credit system as well as the commercial banking system, all uh, signs point to a continued um, capitalization of the farm through lending. 
And I think that will continue. So if you look at the farmland debt, it's increasing at a faster rate. So that's really where we're seeing people uh, turn to, 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 to source that debt. Do you see it harder for operations to get credit in 2019? Well, certainly, you know, you've got uh, a tougher financial picture, right? So if you're going to go in to apply for a loan, you've got maybe three years of lower profitability compared to what you were doing three or four years ago. So when you had those 12, 13, and 14 income tax returns that are showing really healthy profitability, you don't have those in the financial underwriting picture today. So that makes it a little bit more difficult. You have to have a longer conversation probably with that underwriter. Um, but, but certainly uh, lenders are in it for the long term. Um, at Farmer Mac, that's one of the things we talk about often is just the thinking through the cycle. And, uh, and I'm confident that uh, the good producers out there, and there's still many of them who are profitable even during these tough times, uh, will be able to, uh, you know, obtain financing uh, for their operations. We're talking with Jackson Tockage, uh, ag economist for Farmer Mac. But, Jackson, I would think there are some farmers that are probably just, whether it's at the point they are in their careers or or just, you know, they've been through this before, and they say, we just don't want to try to ride out another one. Uh, are we seeing that where some are just saying, now's the time to get out? I, I, I certainly think there's some discussion of succession planning. So that's been going on probably for the last five to ten years, um, that talk of transition and setting up the next generation of farmers or thinking about an exit strategy for the asset entirely. So how do I want to – is it time for me to sell my farm if I don't have a, a relative who is willing to take the operation on – what do we do? How do? Who do we sell to? How do we put it on market? Um, I think when you have four years, so if we're entering our fifth year of sort of uh, uh, depressed commodity prices, that will hasten that conversation, I think. Uh, but I do, I do know and, and have had several conversations with producers who have uh, family members lined up to take over the operation and who are excited about uh, coming up with new innovative ways to farm and lower costs and come up with uh, new markets and all those uh, types of things. So um, a transition is not always necessarily a bad thing to, to think about uh, new opportunities out there um, for the next generation of farmers. Historically, when we look back at past downturns in the ag economy, what brings us out of it? And is it, is it something that happens suddenly or is it something more gradual? Well, typically it's more gradual. So the last downturn we had, major downturn in the 1980s, it took us a good decade to work out of that. Um, and, and what I'll say will drive uh, a recovery in the agricultural sector is going to be demand. Um, we typically see uh, new markets opening up. So if you go back to 2005, um, you had a lot of interest in ethanol uh, pop up pretty suddenly, so that drove demand for corn. And at the same time, you had a growing economy in China, which drove a lot of demand for both um, uh, soybeans as well as protein products. So when you see these recoveries start to happen, it tends to be a function of economic growth in other countries or new sources of demand. And that can happen kind of suddenly. It may take time to develop that demand, but it can, uh, you know, spur a lot of growth in the agricultural economy quite quickly. Um, for, uh, for producers in this cycle, looking for that next level of demand will be somewhat of a challenge. We've got to open up more markets in um, Asia, Africa, uh, some parts of um, India would be good to open up. So there are opportunities to increase demand for our products, but we've got to really have a good um, uh, network of people working towards opening those markets to really make it to really make it hum. I mentioned this earlier that I'm concerned that there's so much uh, anticipation and expectation placed upon the talks with China. And while certainly a deal with China would be huge, it would be a big boost. Uh, I think. It, there's almost this feeling that that's going to solve everything. How do you, how do you view that situation with China? 
Well, I, you know, I think we have to absolutely have China on board as a trading partner. That's a huge uh, swath of people, and they're growing in terms of their um, uh, incomes and willingness to spend incomes on food. So it's, it's certainly a market that we need to keep open, and it will give us a huge boost if we were to open up the, uh, the trade negotiations, if there's some sort of thawing of that uh, frigid relationship right now would go a long way. I think we could see commodity or uh, soybean prices pop up, you know, 10, 15, even 20 percent um, based on where we're trading in the U.S. compared to Brazil. We could see a pretty good price appreciation. But you're exactly right, Mike. It's a long-term issue. And if we've got supply of soy, you know, if we're, if we're producing soybeans out of our ears, um, that's going to weigh on prices for the long term. So it's, a, it's, a, it's more of a holistic approach we need to be thinking about this. It's not just solving one problem. It's uh, solving multiple problems at the same time. And where we're at right now, I think of that old saying, the cure for low prices is low prices, meaning those low prices would attract buyers. But because of trade tensions and issues, we've limited the number of buyers, it seems, around the world. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, policy matters, and, uh, and our relationships with trading partners matter. Um, so when you do artificially lower prices through uh, trading frictions like we have, um, that really hurts, and, and you have to lower your price quite a bit in order to attract the same level of, of demand. And we are seeing it. So if you look at Egypt, uh, parts of uh, the, the EU, um, even in parts of South America, we're sending a lot more soybeans than we ever have before. So certainly those low prices are attracting buyers, but not in the same volume um, as China was. Hey, let's say some things come together. Let's, a farm bill gets done. We get E15 year-round. Uh, we, we get some kind of deal with China. If, if all that came together, would that be the, at least the start of the turnaround, you think? Yeah, looking forward, so, so looking at some of the USDA data, looking at some of these um, sort of news, uh, big news items on the horizon, uh, you know, the, the future is not terribly bleak for grain producers. If we can hang in there for another couple of years, you get through um, some of these trade frictions, you get through a new, uh, a new farm bill, um, you could see prices rebound. You're going to continue to have costs. Uh, come down through innovation, through new technologies, through better applications of fertilizer. Oil price looks pretty favorable right now. It was trading close to $100. Now it's back down to 50 So all those concerns about, hey, my expenses are going to go through the roof, maybe those have uh, slowed down a little bit. So if we can, get, we can lift some of this cloud of uncertainty, get uh, the trade picture a little bit clearer, um, 19 may not be as bad of a year. If, if all these things stay in place, we're looking at about a 2% pay cut for farmers. Um, if you can get the trade picture clear, if you can get some of the uncertainty around the policy, maybe it's flat, and then even an increase if prices can pick up a little bit. Yeah, that's why we talk so much about these issues. They're so key to getting us turned around again in the ag economy and headed in the right direction. Jackson, thank you for uh, your perspective, and we'll look forward to talking with you again, hopefully with even better news next time we talk, okay? That's right. Thank you, Mike. Th- thank you. Jackson Takich. Ag economist for Farmer Mac. Well, there is a lot of uh, uh, renewable fuels news uh, with EPA and the RFS. Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets reporter for Reuters, right on top of all that. He'll join us next for an update. Stay with us on AOA Adams on Agriculture. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, 
hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Okay, men. This is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're gonna go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you gonna do? You're gonna go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't. Because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. It's not just storing grain, it's storing quality. At FS, quality isn't just a promise, it's a statement. Our grain systems experts stay focused on what's ahead by providing state-of-the-art grain systems that protect grain quality in the bin, along with larger capacity bins that keep us moving forward. We're always looking for ways to optimize operations and ensure our customers are ready for what's next. So visit FSSystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. I can't believe he found them. He seems sorry. We very clearly told him not to look up there. I'm honestly impressed that he was able to do it. Right? What did he balance on that big chair? Or... Yeah, I mean, I guess he'll just know what his gifts are this year. I really thought we had hidden them well. If they can find their presence, they can find a gun. 911, what is your emergency? Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and Family Fire. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now, you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit, doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. 
Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, even though we're still waiting for the numbers from EPA for the RFS levels for 2019. In the meantime, we've been getting quite a bit of other news from EPA, and uh, someone who's been doing a lot of that reporting is with us now, Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters. Jarrett, thanks for joining us. Uh, uh, We're learning uh, more and more, I guess, about the EPA's uh, policy for the RFS. We'll start with one that I know is a disappointment to those in the renewable fuels industry, it looks like there'll be no reallocation of those lost gallons uh, from those waivers that have been granted. Uh, yes, that's what uh, that's what we are reporting. Uh, an EPA official told us that, that that's not going to be part of the upcoming RVO that's going to be released on Friday. You know, frankly, Mike, I'm not so sure that's. I, mean, I know it's un, un, unwelcome news to the biofuel folks, but I, I'm not so sure it's much of a surprise to people that have been following the issue. Uh, you know, the EPA made it clear that they didn't want to discuss this this particular issue as part of the RVO. They weren't accepting comments, and I think the, uh, you know, the biofuel folks were trying to elevate this issue and, and, and stress how important it is to them and use, use the comment period to make that point, but I'm not so sure that was ever a, a, real, a real possibility. Um, so we don't get puts the attention on moving forward. What are you picking up on how uh, EPA plans on handling the waiver issue moving forward? Now, we have a story today that says that they, you know, there's a number of applications that have been put on hold temporarily as they uh, review the scoring system. Um, you know, the, these applications are graded on a number of uh, particular metrics, and uh, the EPA has denied several in the past and has gotten legally challenged and, and, and has lost in court. You know, so, you know, it, frankly, it's unclear to me to what ends they're doing the uh, the review. Is it is it to limit the number of uh, uh, of waivers is it to comply with the judge's uh, opinion and which was a more expansive view of the waiver um, of how they issue waivers. My my informed speculation is that they're trying to find a way to preserve a a small refining system, a waiver system, but also prevent folks like Chevron and and some of the big heavyweights. From um, from getting the waivers and, and, and being able to have some uh, a justification that can withstand some legal scrutiny. So that that that's my sense of what's going on. And I I get the feeling that this this administration, this EPA, is still trying to appease both sides, big oil as well as the re- renewable fuels industry, trying to appease both sides, which usually leads to making no one happy. Yeah, I think we we we've you know in our conversations we've. we've this is a frequent point, you know. It's uh, I've always said until they're willing to anger one side um, and just move forward, you're going to get in this kind of stop and start, and then you know you, you get ineffective policy, and um, and it's just not a great way to get things done. So 
you know, I think we're going to just see more of the same. A um, little incremental uh, pickup here, a little incremental pickup there, but no, no real wholesale reform that I think either side really wants to see. Do you expect any surprises in the numbers that will come out supposedly this week for the, the 2019 levels? Right now, what, what, what we are reporting is that it's, it's, going, to be, it's going to be the same as the proposed uh, rules. It may be uh, slightly different um, to the upside, but probably immaterially different. Um, uh, so I think we'll see maybe uh, a little uptick on, on some of the advance to maybe the biodiesel side and, and, and everything else will kind of remain as proposed. So, you know, to that extent, I think, you know, they got it on time. I think they'll be uh, uh, receive uh, uh, applause for that, and uh, you know they didn't, you know, they certainly didn't damage or do anything from the proposal. So I think all in all, that they'll they'll get a, a, a muted uh, applause from, from folks on this. And as we've talked about before, in years past, that would have been good news, even big news, uh, that there were no cuts and that they got it out on time and things like that. But now, because of the cloud and the uncertainty of these waivers it really dampens that news for the renewable fuels industry. Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, I, I think the uh, the renewable fuels industry is in a little bit of a pickle here. I mean, I think they, uh, they're appreciative of the White House's efforts on E15, um, and I think to, at some point their cries of uh, being uh, of grievance are going to grow a little weary on the White House, you know, who feel like they're doing what they can do to do to, to to help them out, you know, and I'm not so sure how many times they can go to that well and the White House is going to kind of be sympathetic. So who knows? I really honestly don't know where, where this, this waiver thing um, ends. At this point, there's no reason to believe that the EPA is going to substantially halt the waivers other than we have rent prices that are, you know, pennies. So you would think just by the very, you know, economics that, there's going to be fewer, but, you know, like, Mike, we always see, we see these lawsuits and we see challenges, and, you know, and I, I, so I, I, I still think there's a lot of uncertainty heading into next year in terms of how the EPA is going to approach these things. And meanwhile, we're seeing this is a, a tough economic time for the ethanol industry. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, we see certainly reports of plants shutting down, temporarily idling, uh, I saw, uh, you know, prices for ethanol reached a, a five-year low or something like that yesterday, I believe. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I think uh, most people think it, uh, there's still a lot of more pain to be felt um, moving the month forward. So, yeah, you know, that's certainly going to create some sense of urgency uh, amongst the biofuel folks and, and put some pressure on the, the administration to do something. I'm just, you know, they need to get the China thing settled. Um, and, uh, you know, the ethanol industry is probably going to have to take some pain here in, in the next few months and, and kind of respond accordingly. So we'll watch for the numbers. You think they'll be out uh, Thursday or Friday? We're told Friday. Friday. So I would expect them Friday um, sometime in, uh, you know, sometime early on Friday. I think we'll see them. Okay. So, so not expecting any surprises, and we are expecting kind of a, uh, a muted uh, response, probably, from the renewable fuels industry, right? Yeah, I, I think it's like, thank you, but, you know, one of those yeah. things. Uh, thank you, we appreciate it on time, but we're not real happy on, on the waivers. And, uh, you know, the truth is, Mike, with these waivers, even if they fix it, some of the damage has already been done. You, you've right. exempted billions of gallons, 
that are on the market, and I don't think you could ever um, you know, put the toothpaste back in the jar on that. All right, Jared, thanks for the update, and we'll continue to watch your reporting. Thank you. All right, thank you. Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters. We'll keep you updated on the RFS and the Farm Bill. And also tomorrow, a look at efforts to uh, try to address the shortage of veterinarians across the country. That's coming up tomorrow. Join us on AOA. AOA.